I can't tell you how excited I am that I'm going to be speaking to you face-to-face, well, to many of you face-to-face next week and not speaking to this uh, video camera for the first time in what feels like an eternity. Uh, But uh, that's for next week. Now, let's uh, concentrate on thinking about this topic of love uh, as we think about the fruit of the Spirit. I'll lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Spirit is at work in us, producing fruit uh, in keeping with what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So help us tonight to grasp something of the wonder of your love for us, as well as to consider what it means for us to love others. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, Troy, who you all know very well, he often shares, in fact, I think he shared it last week, that he believes that mangoes are the king of the fruit. To him, mangoes are the fruit par excellence. So for Troy, uh, there is nothing better than when mango season starts. And in fact, I sneaked a hidden camera into his home last week and caught him. Uh, He buys a tray and he loves that juice dripping down his arm, feeling that only a mango can give. Uh, Victoria is the same. Mango is her number one fruit, if you ask her. For me, I can take or leave a mango. Uh, Maybe it's because I grew up in Queensland and we used to walk past them just sort of falling off trees, dropping on the ground and rotting. They don't seem quite as special to me. For me, maybe a fresh, juicy pineapple is best. But probably, if I was really pressed and I had to pin my colours to the mast, I'd probably say passion fruit are the kings of the fruit for me. They are my favourites. But that might just be that they come on the top of the pavlova with all the cream. So that might be why I like them. What is it for you? Uh, I'm sure now I've distracted you thinking about what you'd like after this, maybe for dessert tonight. The thing is though, it really is just a matter of opinion. It really doesn't matter. It really, Troy disagrees, but it really is uh, a matter of opinion. There's no way of really determining what is the king of the fruit but not so with the fruit of the Spirit. The reality is there is an undisputed heavyweight champion king of the fruit of the Spirit, and that fruit is love. There is a reason love comes first on the list. There's a reason love love comes first on just about every list in the whole New Testament. In fact, you might say that many of the other fruit are actually just sort of flowing out of love or an expression of love. So as we think about patience next week, as we think about gentleness next week, they flow out of love. Because love is the essential attribute of the Christian. I've actually already seen that when we looked at the whole of Galatians chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago, back at verse 14, when it says that the entire law is summed up in one statement, it says that statement is, love your neighbour as yourself. So it's no surprise then that when he gets to verse 22, our passage for, these next, for this series, and he starts talking about the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in your life if you love Jesus, the fruit that we then seek to cultivate in our lives as we walk in step with the Spirit, it's no surprise that the head of the list is love. And it's no surprise because this idea is just all through the New Testament. When Jesus was saying to his disciples, what is the essence of what it means to be, me, be my disciple? Look at what he says, John 13, 35. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Faith is essential. We're saved by faith. Hope is so important. Peace and joy that we thought about last week, they are key marks of the Christian, but love is the mark of the disciple of Jesus. So our first heading tonight, why is love number one? 
Why does Jesus make that point that it's love that will show that you are a disciple of Christ? Well, it's actually because love is central to who God is. One of the things we're going to see with the fruit of the Spirit over this little series is that they are all things that are a part of who God is. See, the fruit of the Spirit are part of God's character before they're part of our character. When we show the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we are reflecting the character of God to our world. Now, of course, that shouldn't surprise us, because if you think about it, if the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, and that's who is dwelling within us, what shouldn't surprise us, that He then produces God-like characteristics in us. That's why we call it godliness, because we're growing to be more like God. And the reality is there is nothing more central to who God is than love. 1 John 4.16 says it straight out, God is love. Now that verse often gets misused as if that's everything to say about God. No, the fact that God is love doesn't mean there aren't other aspects to God's character. God is just, God is righteous, God is holy. I could go on and on and on. Love is not all of what God is, but love is central to who God is. The very centre of God's character is to love. And so, of course, His Spirit will then produce love in us. The thing is, that truth doesn't actually mean anything unless we define what love is. Isn't that right? See, our world is confused about love. We mix it up with attraction. We mix it up with warm feelings, even sadly, and most often in our modern world, we mix it up with lust. So our world is God is love, and they say that means, well, God lets me do whatever I want because to love means to, to let me do what I need to do to be happy. So our next heading is, what is love? That really sounds like the first, song of a pop, first line of a pop song. And if you uh, remember songs from the 80s and 90s, you're immediately singing, baby, don't hurt me, baby, don't hurt me no more. And in fact, just after I wrote this sermon, I got in the car and that song was on the radio, what is love? baby, don't hurt me. But you know, as I thought about the question, what is love? I pulled out some of my old wedding sermons, including sermons I preached at some of your weddings. Uh, And I thought, surely I've answered this question somewhere in my weddings, and I can just cut and paste a sermon from there and and give it tonight. Uh, But what struck me as I looked at those talks is how often Christians who I married didn't want me to preach about them and their love at their marriage at their wedding. Instead, they wanted me to preach about Jesus and they wanted me to preach about His death for our sins so that their non-Christian friends and family could hear the gospel, which is absolutely wonderful because it it shows that those couples understood love. They understood that to see love, you don't look to the example of a happily married couple, as wonderful as that is, you look at Jesus And especially you look at Jesus dying for our sin, you look at Jesus on the cross. See, the cross of Christ is the true definition of love. That's why the great passage about marriage, Ephesians 5, is actually all about the death of Jesus. It says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, laying down His life for her. You see, that is the repeated message of the New Testament. What is love? Look to Jesus, and especially look to His death on the cross. 
Our, our reading before was from 1 John, and 1 John is the book of the New Testament about love more than any other. And so look at how 1 John puts it, and I've just picked out two examples. First of all, 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we have come to know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. Or 1 John 4 verse 10, love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a sacrifice to turn aside God's anger, to to pay the price for your sin. Other translations might have a sacrifice of atonement, a sacrifice to make us one with God. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. Even though we were God's enemies, even though we had rejected God and lived our lives as if He does not exist, rather than making us pay for our sin, rather than condemning us like we deserve, Jesus took the punishment we deserved upon Himself. That, that is love. And that's why, before we think about what love looks like for us, I want to make sure that we know that love. I want to make sure that you know the love of God, because that is the most important thing. That you know that wonderful truth of John 3.16, for God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. More important than anything else tonight is that you know that love, because it's only when we know the love of God for us that we will ever understand how to love others. So what does the cross of Christ teach us about what is love? Well, it teaches us many things. I could go on all night, but I'm just going to point out three things. First of all, it teaches us that love is an action more than a feeling. Love is not a a warm feeling in the cockles of your heart. Love is actually a conscious decision to go and do something good for the other person. Secondly, it teaches us that love is self-sacrificial and costly. Christ loved us by giving His life for us. It cost Him everything. Well, in the same way, to love each other will cost us. You see, it will often cost us money, it will cost us possessions as we provide for a brother or sister who needs help, as we generously care for one another. It will always cost us our time. Look again at 1 John 3, verse 16 through to verse 18. I read verse 16 before that says, this is how we have come to know love, he laid down his life for us. But then it says, we should also lay down our lives for our brothers. And then it makes it really practical. It says, if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Do you see the point it's making? Finishes it off in verse 18. It says, little children, We must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. You see, love is not just words. Love is not just strong feelings. Love is not just good intentions. Love is active, it is costly, it is service. We often think that the opposite of love is hate, and in one sense it is. But one John there actually shows you the opposite of love is often indifference. The the opposite of love is closing your eyes to another person's needs. It's not that we hurt the other person like we would if we hated them, but instead we cross to the other side of the road and walk on past, as Jesus says in the famous parable. We avert our eyes, we pretend we don't see. 
This is why I worry so much about the Christian who stands aloof from fellowship, the Christian who does not involve themselves in the life of their church family. It suggests something is amiss, something is not quite right because love, by definition, love means being in one another's lives. It means getting dirty in the messiness of each other's lives. That is love. So love is an action. Love is self-sacrificial and costly. Thirdly, the cross teaches us that love is blind. Not in the way poets talk about. No, in the sense that Christ died for us despite the fact that we were unlovable. Christ died for us when we did not, when we did not deserve it. It's not like God looked down and, and, and he said, they are so lovely, I'm going to love them. It's not like God looked down and said, they're basically good, they just have a few sins that need dealing with, so I'll send Jesus to die for them. No. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. It says, for while we were still helpless... At the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, someone might even dare to die. And here's the key, verse 8. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves the unlovely, which is you and me. And so we are called to do the same. That's why Jesus calls on us to love the person we don't naturally connect with. That's why the Samaritan is called to love the Jew and the Jew to love the Samaritan. At its most radical, Jesus told us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, love is the conscious decision to seek the good of the other person, even if they do not deserve it, even if we don't feel like it. See, what is love? Love is the cross of Christ. Love is active, self-sacrificial, costly, without looking for anything in return. That is love. But now I want to look at that question another way. What does it look like to love? How do you know the loving thing to do? So I've called this heading, number three, the content of love. One of the arguments during the so-called same-sex marriage debate a couple of years back was love is love. People just said that and sort of made it sound like that was the end of the argument. And so people would say to Christians, they'd say, well, Jesus says you're to love one another, so how could you be against allowing two people to love one another? Or sometimes when Christians have to make hard calls and, and, and challenge one another about sin in our lives, people respond and say, that is so unloving. How could they do that? The Jesus I believe in was on about love. He wouldn't make someone feel bad like that. Now, the only thing people who make those comments have in common is that they've never actually read the Bible or met the true Jesus. But behind those comments is a misunderstanding about what I'm calling the content of love. You see, our modern world, because it doesn't have an external moral code anymore, is left with a very vacuous definition of love. Love is to affirm the other person. Love is to make a person happy. That's about all our world can come up with because in the end, if this world is all there is, well then happiness is the highest goal. At its best, our world might say love is doing what is best 
for another person or love is seeking the good of the other person but then they have no way of defining what is best or what is good for the other person. See, in some situations, the loving thing to do is just clear. If he is hungry, feed him. If she is cold, give her your coat. If she's thirsty, give her a drink. As I say, it's easy to know what is the loving thing to do, but that doesn't mean we actually do the loving thing, but often it is easy to know. But in more complicated situations, how do you define what is best for the other person, what is good for the other person? Well, what you believe about our world will answer that question for you. If this world is all there is, then to love someone is to help them to be happy for the short time they have here, whatever that looks like for them. If this world is meaningless, well, then to love someone is to do what you can to help them enjoy life and avoid suffering. Maybe it's to help them find some sense of fulfilment. But if you believe that this world is passing away, if you believe that there is a God who created this world and gave it purpose, if you believe that God will judge the world for how we've lived, if you believe that God has offered the answer to that judgment through faith in His Son, well then we need to let God tell us what is good for us and others. God's Word gives us the content of love. He gives it to us in what we call His moral law. Think of the Ten Commandments, don't steal because it's not loving to do that, don't lie because it's not loving to do that, don't murder because it's not loving to do that, don't bear false witness. Why don't we do any of those things? It's because it's not loving. Jesus turned them and turned them into the positive. He said, I tell you, don't just not murder, actually go out and actively love people. Don't just not steal, go and actively be generous. Why? Because that is to love them. But more than that, the very facts of the gospel tell us what love looks like. As I said before, if we believe that God has loved the world by sending His Son to die for us, so whosoever believes in Him might not perish but have eternal life, if we believe in heaven and hell and that the only way of salvation is through Christ alone, then the essence of love is to help people know Jesus, trust in Jesus and keep trusting in Jesus. Isn't that right? So for our brothers and sisters in Christ, thinking of our our brothers and sisters here at church, we love each other in all sorts of practical ways. But most fundamentally, we love one another by encouraging one another in our faith, by spurring each other on to keep following Jesus. That's why the New Testament is full of encouragements to meet together, to use your gifts to build up one another's faith, to to speak the truth of God's Word to one another in love. That's why sometimes the Bible says we need to say hard words to one another. That's why sometimes the Bible says we need to rebuke one another when when a brother or sister is drifting away from faith in Jesus or tolerating sin in their life. The loving thing to do is to challenge them, sometimes even rebuke them. Now, our world says, that is judgmental, how unloving. Jesus says, no, there is nothing more loving than being willing to say a necessary hard word. And of course, for people who don't know Jesus, for people who who don't yet trust in Jesus, we show love to them in all sorts of practical ways. 
You know, we show love in the way we serve, we show love in the way we give of ourselves and our time, in the way we are gracious, in the way we are gentle. How many of the ways we love our world, but most fundamentally we love by sharing the good news of Jesus. And again, sometimes, in fact, often people will not recognise that as love. Stop trying to tell me about Jesus, stop trying to force your religion down my throat. Our world will sometimes call it arrogance, they'll sometimes call it intolerance, to seek to change a person's mind, to tell them that they need forgiveness and that Jesus is the only way they can find that forgiveness. Often our world says, how arrogant! But remember, to love someone is to do what is best for them, not what they think is best. So yes, we speak with gentleness, we'll think about that next week. Yes, we speak with grace, but in the end, people need to know Jesus to be saved. A few years back in our gospel teams, we looked at a book by Rico Tice called Honest Evangelism. And in that book, he quotes the American magician Penn Jillette uh, from Penn and Teller, if you know them on TV. He's an atheist, he's not a Christian, doesn't believe there is a God. But this is what he says about Christians sharing the gospel. The word proselytize means to evangelize, to share the gospel. And he says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much more do you have to, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He mightn't believe it, but he gets it, doesn't he? He understands it better than some Christians I know. How do we love our world? Count the ways. But most fundamentally, we love by sharing Jesus, the only hope of salvation. Well, as we close, as we talk about each of the fruit of the Spirit, we've got a couple more to go in the next couple of weeks, like love today. My hope is that God's Spirit will provoke two responses in each of us. The first is that we'll actually all be struck by how often we fail to love. I don't think you can think about this topic and not be struck in that way unless your heart is hard. And I'm sure as I spoke, you like me thought of how often I cross the road, how often I avert my eyes. And you're not alone in that. And that's what we need to remember, we are not saved by our love for others. We are saved by God's love for us. Our love is not to earn God's grace. Our love is not to earn God's mercy. Our love is a response to the love we have received from God. And so the right response to that feeling is not to wallow in our guilt. It's what we call godly sorrow. That's the right response. It's to turn back to God. It's to praise God that He forgives me even though so often I do not love and then to pray and ask for His help that I might grow in love, that I might walk in step with the Spirit and seek to grow in that characteristic of love. But secondly, I do pray that you can also look and see the development of this fruit of love in yourself and in your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not perfect and our sanctification, that is our our growth in godliness, in this case our growth in love, it's often slow. It's often slow and steady rather than instantaneous but we do grow. Some of us start further back than others but we do grow 
And I pray that you see that growth in yourself and you see it in your brothers and sisters. Because it is such a joy when I see it amongst you. I can tell you this. And I can tell you, non-Christians see it in you. We can sometimes look around and see the faults in one another, but I can tell you I have lost count of the number of times people in our community come to our church, people who don't know Jesus, come to our church and they are struck by the way people here talk to one another. And it's different to the way people in the world talk. And they're struck by the way people care for one another and the way people look out for one another. Because our world is not like that. Our world is a horribly selfish place. That is the reality. And so even our small, fragile, often weak acts of love stand out like lights. See, there is nothing that commends Jesus to our world more than when people look into God's church and see our love for one another. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible love to us, shown by the fact that you sent your Son to die in our place to be our Saviour when we did not deserve it. And so, Father, we pray that your Spirit might be at work in each of us, producing the fruit of love in our lives. And we pray that as we seek to love one another, we will shine like stars and commend Jesus to our fallen, broken world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.